Ironically, after being thoroughly appreciated, I'm going to talk about humility now. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that works. How many of you are just really excited to be, uh, you know, going deeper in humility? That just thrills you. <laughs> like all you think about, boy, I hope I get a chance to be humbled. Yeah. Good man. <laughs> So, uh, the point here is, I want to, uh, I'm hoping by the end of this that humility will appeal to us more than it does in the natural. There is an appeal. And so, this morning I want to talk about the effect of humility. And um, I want to begin by reviewing a little bit, because remember we, did, we were doing a three-part series on justice, and we started by talking about prayer. We said prayer is the tool, the primary tool God has given us to execute justice in the earth because where we execute justice is actually in the heavens. Prayer is where uh, the incense is poured on the altar. God uh, sends things to earth. Angels are dispatched. There's war in heavenly places. We're battle against principalities and powers in the atmosphere over our city, over our nation, in our homes, changes because we pray. And so, Prayer is, uh, as we said, the primary way we execute justice in the earth at this time. Um, but we also learned our part two was the effect of righteousness, that righteousness is a prerequisite to effective prayer. Because when we call for justice, God has to first execute justice in his house before he executes justice in the earth. And so we have to let God deal with our hearts so that we can be effective in calling for justice in the earth. And we did point out that when we're talking about righteousness, we're not just talking about outward doing things right. We're talking about actually getting God's heart, and we'll talk more about that today. And then the third one, what we're going to talk about now, is the effect of humility. Then uh, we're going to learn in a minute that humility is also a prerequisite to effective justice. And uh, what I want you to see today is that these are interconnected, so I want you to look for that. These, these concepts, prayer, uh, justice, righteousness, humility, mercy, they are interconnected, and they, they build on each other, and so we need all those things happening. Are you with me? So where we see this, and I've been thinking about this verse lately, uh, is in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. So this is where I want to start. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, here's what it says. It's very simple. If you've ever wanted to know uh, what does the Bible say I need to do, and you don't have time to read the whole thing, you could just read this verse and do this, okay? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do these three things, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I've been meditating on what would the church, not just Church on the Rock, the church, what would the church be like if we only did those three things? We just did that. I, I want to go to that church. That sounds cool, doesn't it? So we're going to look at these a little bit. Do justly. Remember, this connects to the three things we've been talking about. The primary way God has given us justice or to enact justice is through prayer. So we do justly. We lean into prayer because we see our responsibility to bring justice from heaven to earth, to love mercy. We said 
uh, our call to righteousness is to be like him, to have his heart. And there's nothing that more describes his heart than mercy. And we're going to look at that in more detail. We briefly looked at it last time. We're going to look at it more. And then, of course, to walk humbly, uh, humility with our God. Let me point out that this is a partnership with God. Don't just throw that away. This is important. We don't do justly for God. We do justly with God. We partner with Him in prayer. We don't love mercy for God. We love mercy with God. We get His heart for individuals. We don't walk humbly for God so that He'll be impressed with us. We walk humbly with God because He's our partner in this. So that's why it says to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Amen? So let's talk a little bit more about mercy. We started this last week, and I, I hit these two passages quickly, but I'm going to just review it and hit them again, because mercy is the primary way we conform to the heart of God, His thoughts and His ways, not just righteousness in the sense of doing the right thing, righteousness in the sense of having His heart, having His heart towards others, even wicked people. God is kind to the ungodly. And so... Uh, we see in Isaiah, we looked at these passages last week, in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he's saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. But in the immediately preceding verse, in verse 7, he's talking about mercy. So if you put all that together, he's going, look, guys, I'm really merciful. You don't get this. I don't think like you. I start at mercy. I don't have to work up to it. I live there. My thoughts and my ways are higher than yours, and I start at mercy. In Romans 11, we read about uh, Israel being cut off so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. And he says uh, he did it, uh, it's to our advantage that they were cut off so that we could obtain mercy. And he goes, I can graft them back in. I'm still going to show them mercy, and I want you to show them mercy. In fact, he ends it by saying, I've, uh, I've condemned everyone under disobedience, that I might show mercy to all. I've arranged the whole thing so that I get to show mercy to everybody. And then he goes immediately into chapter 12. Renew your, don't be conformed to this world, but let your hearts and minds be renewed. Be, let, your, let your mind be transformed. I'm sorry. But be transformed by the renewing. Of, you guys know the verse. Be transformed <laughs> by the renewing of your mind. There we go. Another translation, Tony's translation. Think like me. What I just said about mercy, think like that. Don't be like the world. Be like me. Mercy. So we see the big deal of mercy. In fact, Micah gets into it again just a chapter later in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. I want you to catch this. He says, and he's just, and this is Old Testament. This is before they've even understood the cross and uh, and the new covenant that he promised through Jeremiah. It says, Who is like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? There is no God that does this, God. You are impressive. All right. He does not retain anger forever because he delights in mercy. Now think about that. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, reluctantly do mercy because we know it's wrong to do vengeance, right? 
God, his first choice is mercy. He delights in it. He thinks it's a blast. He thinks it's a blast with you. He thinks it's a blast with others. So he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us, and he will subdue our iniquities. I love that. He will subdue our iniquities. God will win over your iniquities if you let him. Isn't that awesome? He will subdue our iniquities. You'll cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I like that. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham. Now, I underline those in your notes for a reason. I'm not going to talk about it quite yet. Truth and mercy, mercy and truth. I just want you to see how often these things are paired up in the verses we're getting ready to look at. And then after we've looked at it three or four times, I'll tell you why. Okay? So hang in there. Uh, this is like they do, you know, tune in next week and we'll tell you why. But I'll do it today so you don't even have to wait. All right. So he delights in mercy. So what we're seeing here is loving. We're called to love mercy, right? Micah 6. Loving mercy, loving what he delights in is how we partner with God. Let me put it this way. Uh, let's say you go, I want to partner with Jesus, right? And so Jesus goes, great. And, and you could do that. You go, Jesus, let's get a lunch and talk about this. And so Jesus shows up, and you take him to, I don't know, wherever you eat. Someplace nice, I hope, because, you know, it's Jesus. And uh, at least Carabas. And um, uh, he's having a steak because, you know, uh, no pork. Anyway, um, Jesus is eating with you, and you go, hey, I want to be your partner. Uh, what can we do together? And he says, you know what I love? I love, I delight in mercy. There are at least half a dozen people in your life that have been really mean to you. Let's, well, let's go to lunch with them. Let's, let's show them mercy. I delight to show mercy. Now, the lunch is probably at this point not going the way you thought, <laughs> is it? Because you were thinking of some kind of ministry you could do with Jesus. But he's going, hey, if you want to hang out with me and you want to get to know me, you might want to love the things that I love. You might want to love what I delight in. And so we go, okay, God, I'm going to learn to love mercy. Not just do mercy, actually love it. I'm going to learn to love it because you love it. I'm going to figure out what it is about mercy that's so cool. All right? And remember, God loves it with people who don't deserve it often. So... Loving what he delights in is tangible partnership. Now, this is important. I, I really hope you get this. Uh, how many of you are, have thought about the last day's church? A anyone? Okay, good. Because we talk about it occasionally, so I'm hoping. Uh, and, and you kind of think it'll be awesome. It'll be a pure and spotless bride. It'll be walking in signs and wonders. The last day's church is going to be one because Jesus prayed that we would be one and probably God will answer that prayer, right? You guys ever think about that? All right, I want you to tune into that because I want to show you how I believe that's going to happen. In John 17, 22, Jesus says, he's praying for us that we would be one, and he says, and the glory that you have given me, I have given them that they may be one as we are one, and that the world may know that you sent me. And so, it's very simple. God says, Jesus says, Father, you gave me glory. 
I'm giving this glory to the church so that the church can be one, and that's everybody will see it. And so understand this glory is the key to getting to that end times church that we all want to see, right? So let's look at what this glory is. And uh, uh, spoiler alert, it's his goodness and mercy. It's not gold dust and, and you know, profound miracles, although we'll take gold dust and profound miracles. But that's not really what his glory is. We find that out in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses has asked God to see his glory. And God says, all right, I'll let you. I'll walk by you. And uh, just don't look at my face. I'll kill you. Uh, but I'll let you see my glory. Let's read about it. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed before him, and the Lord proclaimed, pay attention to all these words. Now remember, he's showing what? His glory. This is his glory. This is the thing that God has given us, right? That we might be one. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Guys, his glory is his mercy and his goodness. And that's what he's given us. Now, if you hear when I say that, he's given us his glory that we might be one. If you're hearing he's forgiven us so that we might be one, that's only part of it. You're hearing it on a very low level. What he's saying is, I've given them the ability to be like me, to be merciful and good, and that'll make them one. That is what's going to change somewhere between here and when Jesus comes. The church is going to get a revelation of his goodness and his mercy, and not just appreciate it, but begin to walk in it. It's going to be the church being like Jesus to each other. And the world goes, oh, they're his disciples. They're actually loving like Jesus. I'm telling you guys, this is the path to the end times church, his mercy and his goodness. The other thing I want you to see in here is that all of those things in that list fall under the category of mercy and truth, that pairing that I talked about. He says uh, in verse 6, abounding in goodness and truth. And in verse 7, by no means clearing the guilty. That means he's not going to overlook truth. If you're guilty, he'll know, and that'll be the truth. He's not going to clear that, but he's going to look for ways to bring you into his place of mercy. And uh, again, I want to reiterate, he has given us this glory, not just to uh, be forgiven, but to express his glory, to become an expression of his mercy and goodness and truth in the earth. Are you up for it? Okay, so now that we understand mercy, let's talk about humility because humility is going to be required. As I said, humility, just like righteousness, is a prerequisite to executing his justice. Okay, and we're going to see this in Psalm 25. I love this passage. Psalm 25, verses 9 and 10. He says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Now, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about executing justice, 
and learning his way so that we can execute justice his way. And God's saying, I'll be happy to teach you one condition. You've got to be humble. I only teach the humble. You with me? The humble, he guides in justice. And the humble, he teaches his way. And then he says, all the paths of the Lord, all the paths, not some of the paths, not occasionally, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimony. There's that pairing again, mercy and truth. All his paths are mercy and truth. Now, not to everyone, but to everyone who <laughs> desires to keep his covenant and his testimony. So if you're here this morning and your desire and your heart is to keep your covenant with God and to keep his testimony, guess what? Every single path he has for you, whatever it looks like to you, is mercy and truth. This is the only two paths he's got for those who keep your covenant and his testimonies. You follow me? Mercy and truth. Now, so what we're seeing here is that it is humility that actually makes us teachable. I put that in bold. That's the incentive. It is humility that makes us teachable. The humble, he guides in justice. The humble, he teaches his ways. If we're going to learn to do justice his way, we must be humble. We must embrace humility. We must value humility, not just do it reluctantly. we got to kind of start liking it. Right? Because it makes us teachable. How many of you want to learn? Yeah. You don't get to without humility. Just don't get to. Because God guides the humble. He teaches the humble his way. Now, the other thing we learn is that we must learn humility, and we must learn that all his ways are mercy and truth. This is part of learning humility. Listen, again... Mercy and truth, it's like this. It's like he has two lenses that he looks through. One of them is mercy, and the other one is truth. And that's it. He's just got those two lenses. I'll tell you where you see that. We looked at this verse last week also. In Psalm 89, verse 14, uh, last week we talked about how righteousness and justice go together. They're the foundation of his throne. His government is founded on the twin pillars of righteousness and justice. You remember that? Okay, so... He says, Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. What is he always looking through? Mercy and truth. They are always before his face. He's saying, for my people, for people who want to keep my covenant and my testimonies, my only lenses are mercy and truth. Well, really for everyone, his only lenses are mercy and truth. You just want to you just want to kiss the sun so you get on the mercy side, right? Mercy and truth are the only lenses he looks through. And so if we're going to learn to do justice his way, we have to learn to look through those two lenses constantly, mercy and truth. That's what he wants to teach us. That's why we have to be humble. How many of you think it takes humility to learn how to, be, to look through those two lenses all the time? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? What I love is this is what happened at the cross. What's amazing to me, now, I can usually kind of get focused on the mercy lens or kind of get focused on the truth lens. The hard thing is to look through them both at once and not get cross-eyed, right? See the truth and do mercy. But God did that. He did that on the cross. 
I love Psalm 85, verse 10. I put it in your notes. You can write that down if you want. Psalm 85, verse 10 says, Mercy and truth have met together. Where'd they meet together? At the cross. Well, Jesus looked down, looked through his truth lens at Tony, and said, that's a filthy sinner. His righteousness, his very best, is filthy rags. And he deserves the judgment of hell. That's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. Then he looked through his mercy lens and said, but I'm going to go die in his place. I'm going to take all of Tony's sin on myself on the cross so that I can get him over onto the mercy side. Even though the truth is, his righteousness is filthy rags. I'll die in his place. I'll take his sin. I'll give him my righteousness. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. That's an awesome verse. Isn't that cool? God can look through both lenses. He can see the truth, and he's constantly working to overcome with mercy. This is a thing that people have a hard time getting with God sometimes. God never denies the truth. He's not going to look over sin. He will by no means clear the guilty. He just is always looking for a way to bring us to mercy. He is looking for a way to overcome. James 2.13, judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God is able to triumph over even the judgment that he has proclaimed through his mercy, through the cross, if we participate. Isn't that awesome? And so that's what we got to learn. We've got to learn that all his paths are mercy and truth. If we're going to do justice, we have to humbly embrace mercy and truth. Now, we talked a lot about mercy. Let's talk about truth for a minute, and then we'll get back to humility uh, just to you know, make it as confusing as I can. All right. As I said, uh, especially about truth, it's going to take humility to love and receive truth. This, most of you have experienced this. Anybody who's lived for a little while, doesn't it take some humility to embrace truth, to love truth and receive truth, and particularly truth about you? Right? Take some humility. And so we have to love this. We have to embrace this. Uh, especially, again, a, a verse we looked at last week, uh, Psalm 51, verse 6, when God says, Behold, uh, through David, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Right? I'm telling you, it takes humility to, with sincerity, pray, Search me, O God, and see if there is any wicked way in me. God, know my heart and try me. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Show me, God. Show me where I'm wrong in this. That takes humility, doesn't it? But what's the result? He will make me to know wisdom. I don't know if I want humility all the time, but I want wisdom all the time. So I'll go through humility to get it. There's an appeal there, isn't there? Man, the wisdom of letting God speak to us about our own hearts. So, I love this verse. Now, just so you're aware, there are probably a dozen verses in Proverbs I could have chosen that talk about correction. Uh, easily a dozen. Uh, but I picked this one just because I liked it. So, Proverbs 12, verse 1. You ready? Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge but he who hates correction is stupid. Any questions? Couldn't be any clearer than that, could it? 
Whoever loves correction, loves instruction, loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. So what I want you to see, guys, is that humility leads to wisdom and understanding. I want to embrace humility because I want wisdom and understanding. I want to know. I want to understand. And that starts with me. And while it's easy, and correction, trust me, is a part of this, while it's easy to uh, say, you know, well, sure, uh, I'm okay with God correcting me. What if God goes, are you okay with me having that person next to you correct you? You okay with your spouse correcting you? What if it's your kid who does things wrong literally every day correcting you? Are you humble enough to take that? What if it's that person that you're mad at because they're mean to you, but they have a point, and they're correcting you? You see where the humility comes in. I have to decide I'm going to love correction, love the wisdom and understanding that comes from it more than I love being uh, honored by those around me or by my children or by whatever, right? you got to really love correction, and you got to really embrace humility to do that. Now, kids, the takeaway from today's sermon is not go home and correct your parents. Okay? Uh, but if you get the word of the Lord, you know, that's different. All right. Uh, where was on my notes? Okay, so uh, humility leads to wisdom and understanding. We got to love correction. We gotta, we gotta, because we, we love correction, because we love humility, because we want wisdom and understanding. Amen? Because we want to learn to be uh, to, to honor mercy and truth, because we want to be like God, because we want to execute justice. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians 2.10, love this passage. He says, and what's going on here in context is he's talking about the Antichrist and when the Antichrist sits in the temple proclaiming that he's God and how much deception will be in the earth. Why? And it says, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They did not receive the love of the truth. You've got to receive the love of the truth. God will try and give it to you, but you can resist it. You can love being right more than loving truth, even if it means you're wrong. You can pick. So humility is a tremendous guard against deception. Deception in the last days. Deception in doctrine because you're willing to listen to others. Uh, even self-deception. Because you're willing to hear what others say uh, might be going on that you don't see. Or you're willing to listen to God talk to you about your own heart. Humility is a guard against deception. Guys, loving truth, again, I'm repeating myself, loving truth means loving correction, which means humility. You understand we live in a generation that is screaming at you that the important thing is to love validation. You need to be validated. Your opinion needs to be validated. Your feelings need to be validated. And the word truth is never mentioned. Right? Young people, I'm telling you, you can write me off as old, but don't fall for it. You go to college, they're going to tell you, 
fact, you have to put that answer on the test or you won't pass. They're going to talk to you about your validation, your feelings, all that. You have to decide. Is it more important to me to be validated or for me to know the truth? Am I going to surround myself with people who tell me I'm awesome or people who are willing to correct me because they love me? Right? Now, how the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love, you got to really love someone to correct them and, and stay in a relationship with them. Right? Because it's hard. It's a lot easier to just go, I ain't saying nothing. Isn't it? All right. Probably enough of that. All right. Let's go back to humility. We've talked enough about truth. Let's finish up with uh, we'll talk about humility here. Uh, can't do it without looking at this verse. Everybody knows this verse. Uh, I'm going to look at Luke 14, 11. He says, whoever humbles himself will be, I'm sorry, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, seems like a simple verse, but I think there's a heart understanding we need to get on this. First of all, let's look at the context. In, in, and you see this verse again in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, the context is serving. He says, whoever is greatest among you will be your servant. So he says, serve. Choose to serve, and God will exalt you, right? Humble yourself, and you'll be exalted. Uh, the context in Luke is a little more interesting. What's happening is the guys are going to a wedding, and they're seating according to importance at the wedding. The higher seats are for the more important people. And then there's lower seats all the way down to the kids' table that doesn't have champagne, right? And so uh, he says when you go in, don't take a higher seat because someone more prominent than you may come in and the, ho the steward of the wedding may come over and say, hey, move down to make a place for this guy. And you get up and all the other seats are filled and you got to go to the kids' table. And that's humiliating, right? He says, start at the kids' table. And then the steward of the wedding will come in and go, hey, you're more important than this. Move up higher. And he'll bring you up. He'll exalt you into another seat. That's the context. That's the story he's telling when he says uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the point. He's saying choose a lower place and let someone else put you in a higher place. I was 1987. I'd been a pastor for a whole year. Before that, I was teaching high school and coaching, and I liked it. Uh, but God made me be a pastor, and I, I, I didn't read the fine print. Um, <laughs> so there I was, honest to God. I would have quit one year in. Uh, it took me a year. I had progressed from this is exciting, God's going to make me a pastor, to wow, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I shouldn't be a pastor. I, it only took me a year to learn that. Um, and I would, I, I tell you, I would have just gone back to teaching. Here's the problem. I knew God put me there. I knew I didn't put me there. I knew it wasn't my idea. I was certain he put me there. And so I had to learn how to be a pastor. Here's the thing. I tell guys this all the time when young guys say, I think I'm supposed to call to be a pastor. I go, don't do it unless God makes you. Because there's going to come a time. And this isn't just for pastors. This can be for anything. There's going to come a time where you're going to question whether you are supposed to be doing this. And you want to know that God put you there and you didn't put you there. 
That's what this parable is about. I don't care what your calling is, what your gifting is, what you're, the thing you're going to do in the body of Christ or out in the community. You want to know that God put you there, not you. Because you can have a lot more confidence in God than in you, right? And so because God put me there, I kept doing it and learned some stuff. Uh, took a lot of youth pastors to lunch. You understand what I'm saying? He's saying, don't you put yourself in the chair. Let someone else put you in that chair. Let the person in charge of the wedding put you in that chair. Let God exalt you. So he's, uh, and the deal is he wants to promote us. So he's saying, when he says, though whoever exalts himself will be humble, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's giving us the principle that humility promotes us to reign with him, with his heart. Humility is necessary for him to promote us into a position of authority because we ha- if we're going to reign, we have to reign with his heart, right? We can't get his heart without humility because only the humble he teaches his ways. Are you following me? So it's a prerequisite to promotion. God's not talking about embarrassing you or humiliating you. He's, the whole thing is about him promoting you. But you have to go through the path of humility. Jesus had to go through the path of humility. I'm going to read this. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Check this out. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, let's just stop there. Whatever we're getting ready to read, this is the mindset God is telling us he wants us to have, right? You need to have this mindset because Jesus had this mindset. All right, so let's pay attention. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery robbery to be equal with God. That's a fancy way of saying he was God and he was good with it. He knew who he was. He was God and it wasn't robbery to say I'm God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. He humbled himself, right? And And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's the humility that Jesus went through. Jesus didn't get to be in charge without going through this process either, did he? It's the same path Jesus took, same path we all got to take, humility before promotion. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Therefore, what's the therefore about? Him humbling himself. Why did God give him the name above every name? Because he was already God? Or because he humbled himself? Because he earned it? Because no man in history ever humbled himself like Jesus. He has the record for the most humble man ever. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he humbled himself in a way no other man did, ever. Jesus, in Revelation 5, is the only one found worthy to take the seals 
to take the, the scroll and to open its seals. He's the only one found worthy because he's the only one who demonstrated the humility to be ready to bring uh, righteous judgment to the earth through opening those seals. He's the only one who through humility demonstrated he's the one that can rule as king and kings and lord of lords over the whole earth. He was promoted to the highest position in heaven because he is more humble than any other man ever. You guys following this? He didn't just get promoted because he's God. He came and humbled himself and God exalted him. The thing he's asking us to do, he did. This is what he means when he says in Matthew 11, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Remember that verse? 1128, what are we supposed to learn? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Sounds like what he's saying there is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn gentleness and humility. Come, partner with me. That's what yokes do. Partner with me and I'll teach you how to be gentle and humble. And you'll find rest for your soul. Man, Humility is getting more and more appealing, isn't it? When we start to see the effect of it in our lives. And we see this. When he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, God is not mad. He's not angry. He's not going, I'm going to humiliate you because you're so cocky. It's not what he's up to. We already said, all the paths of the Lord, if your desire is to keep his covenant and keep his testimonies, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, right? So if you are trying to keep his covenant and his testimonies, and he's humbling you, what has, it must be, what, okay, let's try that one again. Uh, what must it be? It must be his mercy and truth. His humbling you must be mercy and truth. Must be. Right? He's not mad. He's not punishing you for being cocky. What he's doing is he's trying to promote you. That verse is simply saying, I want to promote everyone into the position I have for them, the pathway that Jesus and everybody else has to take us through humility. Now, you can do it or I can do it. But one way or another, we're going through humility. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled so that you can learn humility so that I can exalt you. He's just trying to promote us. You guys, you guys with me? So again, my goal this morning is that we would find the appeal, the desire, uh, the, the benefit of humility. That it wouldn't just be something we got to do to prove to God that we're really holy. That we go, oh, this is, this is, this is good. This is going to produce wisdom and understanding in me. This is training me for authority in the kingdom of God. Amen? He wants to move us up into higher seats. Now, let's finish the way we started. We started in uh, Revelation 5. You remember we talked about harp and bull prayer at the very beginning of this whole series? So if we go back to that, remember the elders show up, and they have a, a harp, which is worship, in a bowl full of incense, which is the prayers of the saints. It tells us that. And they're ready to worship, and they're ready to pray. We talked about how we rule the heavens through prayer, 
through intercession with justice, right? And then so they, they come in, they have the harp and they have the bowl and they sing a song. I want to look at, in verse 10, one line from that song. And it says, Revelation 5, verse 10, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Are you aware of that? You're going to reign on the earth. Kings and priests to our God. Are you embracing that? What do kings do? Kings are government. What do priests do? Intercession. You understand how we reign through intercession. We put them together just like Jesus did. Now, so we're back to uh, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Either way, we're going through humility because we're all being trained to rule. We're all being trained to reign with Jesus. We're all being trained, even right now, to reign in the heavens. So he's going to take us through that because we are all kings and priests to our God. That isn't just an honorary title. That's a function that we have to learn humility to do right, just like Jesus demonstrated humility to do it. Are you with me? All right. Here's my last thought as I've been thinking about Micah 6.8. What if the church ruled, guided only by Micah 6.8? What if uh, we said to the world, hey, look, the church is going to rule. We haven't always done it right in the past. We've got some bad history. But here's the thing. We're going to love justice. We're going to find the truth. We're going to do everything you can to find the truth and act according to the truth. And we're going to love mercy. We're going to show mercy every chance we get. And we're just going to be humble. If we blow it, we'll say so. I bet the world would go, I might take that. Now, they're not going to ask for our rule because they're mad at Jesus. But my point is, what if we ruled that way? What if just in our, it's just in Church on the Rock, if we just tried to rule that way? What if in our families, what if we just tried to raise our kids that way? We're going to really work on justice and truth. We're going to show mercy every chance we get. We're just going to be humble. I think it might produce good things. Are you with me? So my goal this morning, I don't know if we did it or not, but my goal was not just that we would recognize that we need to be humble, that we would, that it would begin to appeal to us that we would see the effect of humility and go, oh, I kind of want that. I don't know about you guys. It's happening to me. I'm going, I want what humility produces. I think I'm willing to go through this in a greater way. I want that. I want uh, to be promoted by God and not me and be confident he put me there. Uh, You know, I want uh, for him to be able to trust me to uh, execute justice in the heavens and prayer, stuff like that. I'm starting to like this humility thing. I definitely want the wisdom and understanding that comes with it. And I, I definitely uh, don't want to try and figure out how to get everybody to validate me for the rest of my life. That just sounds like a lot of work. Again, young people. Have you ever noticed how unhappy all of these validation junkies are? It's almost like it doesn't work. It's almost like God's higher ways work better. Just a thought. Okay. I should probably quit talking. Uh, Let's have the band up. Let's pray. 
Let's just close out with a little bit of worship. Um, it's interesting. I'm trying to see what God's up to here. It Again, kind of like last week, it feels a little solemn, but I think we're coming into times that require this, that, that we're coming into solemn times, serious times. Um, and uh, it's not an option anymore. We have to do things God's way to get God's results. And it's not going to look like uh, the world. It's going to look weird. It's gonna, we're going to look different. People are going to be angry, and we're going to be showing mercy. People are going to be betraying one another. We're going to be coming closer together in oneness. It's going to look different. All right? All right. Well, I'm going to pray for this. If you, if you want this also, you can say amen. And then uh, I have no idea what will happen to you this week. I had an interesting week last week after preaching on, uh, you know, search me God and know my heart. So, you know, dangerous prayers. What are you going to do? Lord, <laughs> we, we, oh, Jesus, we just see you. Lord, this morning I see so clearly that you came to earth and demonstrated incredible humility, just went as a lamb to the slaughter. Lord, we want to be like you. Lord, in the midst of demonstrating this humility, you also demonstrated such peace, such joy, such confidence. Lord, we value your ways. Lord, we, uh, we, I, we just say yes, Lord. We would rather humble ourselves and have you have to do it. Help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to love truth. Help us to love correction. Help us to value. Lord, uh, just being at peace with you above everything else. Lord, I know that there are going to be challenges in the future. There are going to be people that are challenging, that are angry, that are offended, that are mean. Sometimes it will be because we did something wrong. Sometimes it will be because we did something right. I pray you would give us grace in either of those cases to respond with mercy and humility. Lord, make a church. Make a church here in Brevard County where we're loving justice, loving mercy, embracing humility, honoring you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just wait on that. feel, again, a little bit of a seriousness in the room, but remember the verse I talked about in Matthew 11, where Jesus said, learn uh, gentleness and humility from me, and you will find rest. And I feel like he's, he's having us be serious about this, but, but he's bringing us to a place of rest, and there is rest in this. There's rest in this. There's rest in just partnering with Him in humility. Lord, we ask right now as we just worship 
and we can enter into your rest. Lord, let us enter into your rest. We don't have to be impressive. You've already been impressive enough for the entire earth. Let's worship Lord.